few minutes of me now, which I, yes, is probably the one thing you are looking forward to tomorrow, this morning you got out of bed. Gus Rosier, I hope he's preaching today. And boy, you've been blessed because he is. Um, I know, it's cheeky. If you don't know me, there is irony. There is irony in what I'm saying. Um, but I just wanted to share uh, some stuff with you uh, from the Bible, starting off with showing you two or three pictures that are connected to me in my life. The first picture that I want to show you is this. It's a dishwasher. And uh, I like dishwashers. I don't know if you've got a dishwasher, you don't have to raise your hand if you have or haven't got one, but people who live in my house, which is my wife, uh, my daughter Isabella, my goddaughter Jenny, my son when he's around, will know that I'm pedantic about my dishwasher. And it is my dishwasher because I have a particular way that I pack the dishwasher so that I can maximise the amount of washing up stuff that needs to go in it so that I can protect myself from having to do any amount of unnecessary washing up. So I'm really quite particular about how the stuff goes in and a little bit cautious about other people getting involved because if they don't get the stuff in, there's work for me and I don't want that. When we got a dishwasher, it changed my life. I was completely ratty. I thought, if you haven't got a dishwasher, once you get one, you'll never not be without one again. So if you haven't got one, apologies, but one day you might get there and come into the glory of the dishwasher. That's the dishwasher. <laughs> Second thing I want to show you is, uh, is this, which is a picture of a car with a leather interior. Now, you might think, as I begin to share these stories, that, gosh, you've got a re had led a reasonably blessed life, and that would be true. When I was in business a number of years ago, I was fortunate enough to be able to have a company car. I had a monthly allowance. I could pick a company car from any type of car, brand, make, specification, with a certain amount of money that went alongside it, and uh, it, it was just my choice. So I could have pretty much anything I wanted. So I chose company cars, but every time I chose them, I always put leather inside them because the luxury of leather is something that once you've had it you think I'll never be without it again although my car at the moment doesn't have leather because leather because now I'm in the church world slightly different budget but that's okay <laughs> it's okay here's a picture of a band that uh, some old people might know of and some younger people thinking who on earth are they I was a, a, a student in the 80s when music was defined. I mean, they say it was defined in the 60s. It wasn't. It was the 80s, really. Most songs, it was the 80s. We were watching an advert last night, and this music track came on in the background. And uh, uh, people in my house, they didn't know what the music track was, so I started singing the lyric in my kitchen after the advert had finished. It was Tears for Fears. It was Mad World. It's the 80s. So it is the 80s. I was a new romantic. Could have showed you a picture. Haven't. Um, did look very similar to that. Uh, on occasion. Uh, this is a band called Japan. They're a slightly alternative band, uh, so sort of not in the, in, the, in the main league of Human League or uh, Heaven 17 or whoever else the other new romance, Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran, that kind of thing. But I, I, when my brother first introduced me to Japan, I absolutely hated them. I thought David Silverman's voice was ridiculous. He crooned like an old boy, and I thought, I'm never going near them. And suddenly something happened, I completely changed and became an ardent follower of that band and have followed Sylvian, or Slyvian as I sometimes call him, ever since. Even my family actually say that I sing a little bit like David Sylvian. That's the blonde guy at the front there. So check him out on YouTube, see what you think. Why am I telling you about these meaningless things in my life? You may be wondering. It's simply this, that when you've had a dishwasher and you've never had one before, you'll never be without one again. I have been converted from non-dishwasher life into dishwasher life. If you've had a company car or any kind of car that has leather in it and you've never had it before, it's really hard not to want it again. 
I've been converted from being a non-leather lover, if I can say that without stripping over my words, to a leather lover. <laughs> Bizarre and strange as that may sound. Pop groups hated Japan. Suddenly, something happened and I was converted overnight to liking them and following for the rest of my days. Conversions about trivial things in life, people generally don't mind. You don't mind the fact that now I like dishwashers where I didn't before, or leather where I didn't before, or a pop group called Japan where I didn't before. On the whole, when we switch from one line of thinking or feeling to another, people don't mind. Conversion happens in life, and it happens to all of us. You might be, for example, an Apple user here today. And I, this, this gets me, but sometimes when you, when you swap from the dark arts of Microsoft into the new world of, of Apple, there seems to be some glorious celebration that goes on amongst all Apple users. Oh, they've seen the light! Death to Microsoft into the eternal life of you know, serving and believing in Bill Gates, even though, not Bill Gates, the other one, Steve Jobs, even though he's no longer here. Anyway, the point I'm making is... In life, conversions happen, and sometimes when we cross over from the dark side to the, to the light side, the people that share our, our belief with us are really delighted about that. So, as I say, Apple users, they celebrate the fact that people cross over. And we today in this room have celebrated, those of us that follow Jesus, we've celebrated the fact that Paul has been on a journey towards finding Jesus. He's been converted from a light of darkness to a light of seeing the light. And that certainly was the case in the first meeting as well. Stories of people saying, oh, I was going down a dark road, and all of a sudden Jesus turned the lights on, and I was converted to following him from, start, from a start position of not really knowing where I was at with him. And that's what we've done today is we've celebrated baptism. And so I thought it would be good today to share with us a story from the Bible that some of us would be familiar, very familiar with, us, some of us may not be, and that is the story of Saul's conversion. Saul's conversion. Saul was a bloke in the Bible uh, who absolutely hated Jesus. He hated Jesus. He was totally and utterly and completely against Jesus. You may have a view of Jesus in this room today. You may be on the, the extreme edge of skepticism towards him, thinking there's absolutely no way I ever want to turn to following Jesus. He is the most ridiculous, unnecessary person that has ever existed. Or you may be somewhere close to making a decision to follow Jesus because of the way that your life has gone. Or you may be somewhere in between. Saul absolutely hated Jesus. He hated Jesus so much that he was on a mission to wipe out the Christian faith. He was on a mission to find people that followed Jesus and lock them up in prison. That was the nice thing he did. Or, if they were real troublemakers, he was going to kill them. He stood over the murder of a believer called Saul whilst everybody else threw rocks at him to kill him. Saul was a murderer. He was someone who was out to get Jesus to take him down to eradicate Christianity. That's what Saul was like. And you may have a view of Jesus today, as I've said, that is somewhere on the extreme of skepticism or on the cusp of following him. But I would doubt it very much if you hate Jesus as much as Saul did. He was totally, utterly, and completely out to bring Jesus and Christianity down. He was extreme in his view. Not just sceptical, not just cynical, not just a little bit, well, do I, do I get him, don't I get him? Totally and utterly radical against Jesus. Now, how do we know that? Well, the reason that we know that is because it tells us in the Bible. It tells us in the Bible. You may have a view of the Bible that is good, or you may have a view of the Bible that isn't good, but it tells us in the Bible that Saul was 
against Jesus. We know that he was presiding over the stoning of Stephen. We know that he was trying to round up believers and and lock them up in Jerusalem. We know that he was whispering murderous threats across the Christian community to get them worried about the, the fact that they might have a faith in Jesus. And whilst he was whispering all this nastiness and being a skeptic and being a cynic and and being really quite a a radical man of hatred towards Jesus, the irony of the whole thing is, why did he have that view at all? Why was Saul so anti-Jesus? Because if you hate someone so much, there must be a reason for it. And after all, let us not forget, Jesus was a good guy. Jesus was most people's good guy. So he he was a wonderful teacher, wasn't he? He was an amazing miracle worker. He was an incredible healer. He was accepted by all different walks of life, from the poor and the marginalized right across to the rich and the famous. He was a faithful friend to all sorts of different people. He's not the sort of person that you would argue would cause somebody to be so antagonistic towards. He was everybody's good guy. And yet Saul hated him. So you've got to ask the question, why did he hate him? Why did Saul hate Jesus? And the reason, or one of the reasons that possibly he did, was because Paul was what uh, is probably a better version of what I am today. Saul was a religious leader. He was called a Pharisee. And the Pharisees in Jesus' day knew their Bible, and they proclaimed that they knew God. But the trouble was, they knew about God, but as Paul has alluded to in his testimony, they didn't really have a personal relationship with God. So they were a little bit hypocritical. They used to sort of tell people how to do life in the way that God would have them do life, but actually they didn't lead that kind of life themselves. And when Jesus came along, he said, it's not about doing, it's not about good works, it's about relationship with God. So Jesus was known as the lover of the people, whereas the Pharisees became known as the law lovers. And there was a bit of tension between them. And Jesus used to kind of push that, that view into everybody's face. And as a result, many of the Pharisees started hating Jesus and Saul, was a Pharisee, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why he hated him so much. So the Bible tells us that Saul hated Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a good guy. Saul hated Jesus even though he was a good guy. And then something happened that I'm going to share a little bit about this morning. It was Saul's conversion. So we're going to read the Bible together. And it's from the book of Acts, if you've got your Bibles. And if you haven't got your Bibles, do not worry, because the uh, words will come up on the screen behind me. You can follow this through. It is not me making it up. This is a story that's in the Bible, and then we're just going to draw a couple of things from the story. So it's Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 18. Here it is from verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, as I've said, was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the Christian way, whether men or women, so no discrimination, he wasn't being nice to women and and nasty to men, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He was looking to take people out. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? (coughs) Who are you? Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat 
or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, by the way, that's you, come and play, place his hands on him to restore his sight. Uh, Lord, answered Ananias, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, which, by the way, would probably include me. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, 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 go. This is my man. He's my man, chosen as my instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was, oh look, baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is a great story. This is an absolutely phenomenally good story. It's an amazing story. It's a radical story, this one. You've got an enemy of Jesus in a moment becoming an ally of Jesus. This is radical stuff. You can't read this story and not think, hello, hang on, what's going on here? This is a story worth dwelling on. And as you read it, you've got the earth-shattering news that someone who hated Jesus had a supernatural encounter of him that completely changed his worldview. It's radical. It's almost unbelievable. It's almost unbelievable. It's so radical, it's almost unbelievable. You can almost read it and think, oh yeah, somebody's making that up. Somebody's making that up to make a point about Paul, or Paul as he became known, Saul as he was then. But the trouble is, the story in and of itself is only the beginning of a lot of history that is then written about Saul, about what happened as a result of his conversion to following Jesus. And what happened was, he took an awful, lot of, an awful lot of flack, as we'll find out a little bit later, in terms of his following Jesus, in order to birth and grow the Christian faith like you would never believe. And remember, this is someone who absolutely wanted to obliterate the Christian faith in the first place. So it's almost unbelievable, apart from the fact that history tells us that the complete opposite of what Saul was setting out to do happened. That's head-turning stuff. And so when you read Acts 9, verse 15, where God himself says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, and their kings and to the people of Israel, it would appear, surprise, surprise, that God was right. He knew what he was doing. He was picking a bloke that he knew was going to change the world and turn its head upside down. So it's a radical story. And what this story tells me and tells us is that nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Some of you in this room today are already followers of Jesus and you know that you're not beyond the reach of Jesus because you've accepted him as your Lord and Saviour. Some of you may not be on that page yet. You may be at the far end of scepticism and cynicism or extremism even. You might be on the cusp and thinking, I'm not sure. But either way, you're not beyond the reach of Jesus. 
Now, it is true to say that some people have got big questions about Jesus, about God. They, they, they think, look, I'm sorry, but if you like, religion is, is the reason that there are so many wars in the world and so much suffering and so much negativism or whatever. So you may be on that page, or, or you may be on, on the page of knowing that somebody that you love is really suffering and you don't get why Jesus isn't stepping in and sorting it all out. Or you may be suffering yourself, really hurting for whatever reason. You might identify with the prophetic word that Beth gave during the worship, that you're kind of walking through a valley of death and you're, you're really hurting. You think there is no God because he's not stepping in and helping me. And yet that prophetic word came and said, look, he actually is with you and he's just going to walk in front of you and walk behind you and fight battles for you. Or you might think that God is totally disinterested in all the world disasters that go on in life today. Things happen and God doesn't step in. So how can you possibly believe in God or believe in Jesus? You may have that view. And if you do, that's okay. I still would say that you're not as far from God as Saul himself was in this story. Because you're not out killing people who follow Jesus. You're not out to imprison people that follow Jesus. So you might have a cynical viewpoint, but you're still not as far away as Saul was from Jesus. And yet, Jesus reached into Saul's life and turned him completely around. He can turn you around if you would only have a look at him. The question is, of course, is why would you want to meet Jesus what do you see when you see Jesus? How does it all change? And to answer that question, we've just got to look at this story and say, well, how did it change for Saul? How did it change for Saul? And I think, of course, there was a unique revelation of Jesus that Saul had. He had a blinding moment of encounter, and literally a blinding moment of encounter, because he was blinded for three days, but it completely opened his eyes to who Jesus was. He had a blinding light from heaven. Jesus appeared to him shrouded in light, Jesus appeared to him and spoke with unquestionable power and authority over him in that moment. Jesus appeared to him and he commanded Paul with amazing authority. Paul just had to obey what Jesus told him to do. And did you notice that Jesus, when he appeared to Saul in that story, didn't come with any sense of condemnation. He didn't give it, have a whole list of things that he knew Saul was up to that was totally against him. He just completely left that off the agenda. God is a forgiving God. Jesus is a forgiving Jesus. He's not out to get us, he's out to love us. He's out, he's out to encounter us, yes, but then once we see him, journey with us for the rest of our days. That's what happens when you see Jesus. And in this story, when Paul Saul finally saw Jesus for who he was, in that glorious light, with this amazing authority and power, with kind words to say, do this, do this, do this, with a forgiving heart, it broke him. He was brought to a point of humility. He fell to his knees, yes, because of the revelation of Jesus that he was seeing, but also because he saw himself at that moment as someone way less than the power, the glory, the authority, the might of Jesus himself. He said to Jesus, didn't he, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Lord? Are you Lord? Who is this? And that's what happens when we see Jesus. When you do see Jesus for who he is, when you do see him in his glory and his might and his power and his splendor and his majesty and his authority with the knowledge that he has and the kindness that he has and the forgiveness that he has and the mercy that he offers, there's so much richness in Jesus. You see him and all it does is make you think, oh my word, I am so not like Jesus. It's incredible. That's what happens. That's what happened when I got saved. I got saved when I was nine years old. Nine years old. 14th of July, 1974. I have got a conversion moment. Bastille Day. And I can remember, <laughs> Keith Medler's birthday, I can remember at that moment when the guy was preaching and speaking about the goodness of Jesus and the love of God and how much he knew us in love. And I think, man, I'm not like that. 
I'm steeped with sin. I'm so selfish. I've just got a person. I was nine years old thinking, what am I like? But I am a picture of what happens in the Bible, if you like. Because when Peter, who's one of Jesus' most famous disciples, when he saw Jesus for who he really was, what did he say to Jesus? He said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. When you see Jesus for who he is, in his glory, his splendor, his majesty, his might, his authority, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, all those wonderful attributes, when you see him in his glory, in his light, all it does is it turns the light in on yourself and think, I am so unworthy of Jesus. It brings you to your knees in humility. Most people who say they're followers of Jesus have got a story to tell about being brought to their knees in humility before a great God and King that Jesus is. It's humility. And that marked... Uh, Saul's story in this particular example he was brought to his knees he said who are you Lord he knew at that moment that everything he'd done against Jesus was a ghastly abhorrent mess and something needed to change so it's humility what did the humility lead to? immediate obedience immediate obedience that's what happened what what did Jesus say to Saul? he said look you need to go into town and you need to I I will tell you what you need to do and there's no, there's, no, there's no story here that says, so say, no, I'm not doing that. Or, well, I'm not going to do that because I've got a different agenda. Or you can say one thing, but you know, I speak and people do what I say. So stuff you for a game of gorillas. We're doing this a different way. There's no argument that goes on. There's no backlash. There's no talk back. Saul basically does what Jesus tells him to do. He goes into Damascus and then he waits. And of course, then we have the supernatural other side of the story when Jesus, where God speaks to Ananias and Ananias with humility and with a great sense of courage goes to meet with Saul and encounters him and then gets alongside him and changes his life as we'll see in a minute. But humility, when you see Jesus for who he is, brings obedience. A humble heart brings obedience to God. We don't follow God because we're supposed to or we're told to as Christians. We do it because we've been melted by the wonder of Jesus. And everything in us wants to say, not me, but you, Jesus. And whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your servant, your friend for the rest of my days. So that's obedience. And then from obedience, we have absolutely massive life change. Absolutely massive life change. I've alluded to it already. But Saul's story didn't just begin and end with that quick conversion. And some people's stories do. They have a conversion moment where they think they accept Jesus and then they just go off and do life however they want to and never really follow him again. And you could almost argue what was that conversion moment all about. But in this case, Saul's conversion was an absolute mega life changer because from that moment on, he went out doing the complete opposite of what he'd done to that point, which is completely diss Jesus and trying to wipe him out and basically went around telling everybody that he met, man, woman, child and dog, how good Jesus is. That's what he did. That's why he he went out from the Middle East, where he was based, because that's where Israel is, just in case we've forgotten, into Europe spreading the good news of Jesus. He went on three and four and five missionary journeys. And as the gospel started going out into Europe, he went out from Europe to the UK and from the UK to the rest of the world. That's why we're in the room here today, because Saul encountered Jesus and Saul's life was completely turned upside down. That's radical, isn't it? And he had a lot of flack along the way, as I alluded to earlier. Here's what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27. This is Paul, Saul, writing about stuff that had happened to him. He said this, Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's whipping, by the way. The kind of whipping that Jesus himself had to suffer when he took the 39 whips. And most people didn't survive one of those. 
Saul saying he had that a juicy five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Very nice. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. That's a lot of danger. It is, isn't it? I mean, if it was a movie, it's going from one scene to the other with danger, 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 danger. I have been... I have laboured and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. What does that tell you about Saul's conversion? It was no flash in the pan, fly-by-night conversion. When he saw Jesus and encountered Jesus, it completely changed him. Humility on his knees, obedience, I'm doing whatever you say, Jesus. And by the way, that takes the whole of my life. Everybody that's got baptised today has basically said, Jesus is number one in my life today. Number one. That basically means you're opening yourself up to whatever's going to happen to you in your world. And that could be a lot of suffering. In fact, in the Bible, it's, it's pretty much promised that, it, that there will be. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the, my God, my, my rod and his staff will comfort me still. That's what happens when you're a believer in Jesus. You get a flack, but you stand tall because Jesus is walking with you. And you're ready to take the flack because you know he's worth taking it for. And he knows that we're taking flack for because he died for us on the cross, which is the reason that we get baptized in water and come out of the water. It's a symbolism saying dead to old self, alive in Christ. It's a radical story. Nobody, therefore, is beyond the reach of Jesus. If you're someone here today who is not a follower of Jesus yet, somewhere on that spectrum, I'm encouraging you that you are not beyond Jesus' reach. I'm not trying to cajole you into, into believing something you don't believe, but what I'm saying is this story tells us there's the potential that Jesus can encounter you, and if you encounter him, your eyes will be opened in a way that you cannot believe. So on this Baptism Sunday, the one thing I want you to do is go away from here and don't think, well, that was nice for them, but it doesn't really affect me. It is nice for Paul that he's got a testimony to share, that he knows and loves Jesus, and it's nice for us that are already followers of Jesus to stand with him in that and think, yip, yah, hooray, and hallelujah. That's good. Don't get me wrong be nice for Megan and for Sam and for Nir in the first meeting this morning to stand up and say they know that Jesus is good news but if we're here today and we're not sure my invitation is don't walk out of here think nice for them not relevant to me look at this story and think hang on a minute this bloke hated Jesus way 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 more than I could ever hate Jesus and yet he encountered Jesus and his life was completely flipped over my encouragement is, go out of here and think, I am going to explore Jesus a little bit more. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to give your life to Jesus today. I'm not asking you to go out here waving your hands in the sky saying, I've just heard the best preach I've ever heard, although I know that's true. <laughs> what I'm asking you to do is go out of this room today and think, hang on a minute, I'm going to look at Jesus. I am going to look at Jesus. Not a quick glance, not a faint little flick over the shoulder, have a look, see what you find, because when you look at Jesus, when you see Jesus for who he is, you might actually be a little bit more impressed than you might already think. Saul was converted, he can convert, God can convert any one of us in the room in the blink of an eye. The question is, are we willing for that conversion to take place? Why don't we stand, I'll pray, and then we'll end it.
Father, I just want to start by thanking you for an amazing two or three hours in your presence. I thank you for the stories that we've heard about your activity in people's lives with all the differences and similarities that that has held. And I thank you, God, that you are proving yourself again to be real and meaningful in real-life situations. I thank you that you do hold us through times of suffering. I thank you that you do celebrate with us in times of fun and partying. And I thank you that you are God who is able to do anything in the blink of an eye. I thank you that when we see you, you're amazing, and it just brings us to our knees. And I pray for all of us in this room today, Lord, that we would make it our intention to look for you, to seek after you, to find out more about you, whether we know you well or whether we don't know you so well, Lord God, that we look to you and have our gaze completely taken over about how amazing you are. And as we do that, Lord, that you would take our little lives and do with them whatever you would have us do in order that your name would be glorified. I pray that in your son's name and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.